You are listening to Sermon Snippets with Max Taylor, where we exposit God's Word and apply its instruction to our everyday lives. As we study God's Word, we are learning truth that corrects our thinking, meets our needs, and teaches us more about Christ. Here's your host, Max Taylor. We are continuing in Daniel chapter 8, which is an amazing chapter on prophecy. And we're going to get a talk about the topic of prophecy a little bit today. But in general, this entire chapter shows us a glimpse of the Hellenization of Israel. This uh, Hellenizing or uh, Greek influence that came over Israel. We, we looked at Alexander the Great, then we looked at Antiochus Epiphanes, which, who continued this uh, really Greek influence on the land of Israel. And last week we looked a little bit at Hanukkah and the history behind that and some of the prophecy involved here. Today we are going to read about the interpretation of this prophecy. Um, some very helpful truth, some very good lessons along the way. So we're going to start in Daniel chapter 8, verse 15. And it says, And it came to pass when I, even I, Daniel, had seen the vision and sought for the meaning. Then, behold, there stood before me as the appearance of a man. Now notice the first lesson that we see here is that he was seeking for the meaning. So Daniel cared enough to pursue the truth. He wanted to know the truth. And I think that's really one of the places where a lot of Christians fall short is we don't even care. We don't even pursue truth. That's almost the prerequisite to knowledge. Even in the list of uh, spiritual virtues laid out in Second Peter chapter 1, he starts off with virtue. He says, add to your faith virtue, then to virtue knowledge. Before knowledge comes virtue, which in the New Testament is the Greek word harate, which really just means commitment, a thirst to know, a longing, a desire. That comes before knowledge. And Daniel had that. He had uh, a desire. He was seeking to know the meaning. And God gives him wisdom. So if you want wisdom, you have to ask of God, as James says. You have to want it. And Daniel was seeking the interpretation of this vision. And so God gives that to him. And if we desire to know the truth and the meaning of prophecy, if we study scripture, if we seek God's direction and his wisdom, he will give it to us. If we're saved, the Holy Spirit will guide us into all truth. He will fulfill his role. Um, So that's something that we need more of more passion, more uh, seeking for the truth. And so Daniel gets what he was seeking for. Verse 16, it says, And I heard a man's voice between the banks of Uli, which called and said, Gabriel, make this man to understand the vision. So he came near where I stood, and when he came, I was afraid and fell upon my face. And I want us to notice the the state of Daniel, he's, he's almost paralyzed because of his reverence, his respect. He is encountering the supernatural, this representative of God, this angel. And he is just awestruck in reverence and in, in holy soberness. It says, um, he fell upon his face. And then he, speaking of Gabriel, said unto me, Understand, O son of man, 
for at the time of the end shall be the vision. So he begins this explanation here. He, he says it's going to happen at the time of the end. Verse 18, now as he was speaking with me, I was in a deep sleep on my face toward the ground, but he touched me and set me upright. And he said, behold, I will make thee know what shall be in the last end of the indignation. For at the time appointed, the end shall be. So now he's going to give us, he's really giving Daniel directly and then by extension, because this is recorded in God's word, first to the Jews, he's giving the Jews this history, but then also to the Gentiles, to the whole world, God is giving this explanation of history, this prophecy of what's going to happen. God wants us to know the truth. And so he says, beginning in verse 20, the ram which thou sawest, having two horns, are the kings of Media and Persia. And the rough goat is the king of Grecia. And the great horn that is between his eyes is the first king. That would be Alexander the Great, which we talked about. Verse 22. Now that being broken, whereas four stood up for it, four kingdoms shall stand up out of the nation, but not in his power. And we talked about the four... um, generals who divided up the Greek empire after Alexander the Great's death and how eventually that just became the northern and southern kingdom and the Seleucid empire is what gave rise to Antiochus Epiphanes. Verse 23 talks about Antiochus. It says, and in the latter time of their kingdom, when the transgressors are come to the full, a king of fierce countenance and understanding dark sentences shall stand up. This is directly talking about Antiochus IV Epiphanes. It says, And his power shall be mighty, but not by his own power. And he shall destroy wonderfully. You could put in there the word terribly. It's going to be astounding, the destruction that he brings. And he shall prosper and practice and shall destroy the mighty and the holy people. He's going to destroy God's people. He's going to target the righteous. And through his policy, also he shall cause craft to prosper in his hand, and he shall magnify himself in his heart, and by peace shall destroy many. He shall also stand up against the prince of princes, but he shall be broken without hand. Now this is talking about his archetype. Okay, so this prophecy has really like a near and a far fulfillment. Now, the, the near fulfillment happens pretty pretty soon with Antiochus Epiphanes. But a little later on, and actually still future today, it comes the far fulfillment, which will really uh, be fulfilled when the Antichrist comes during the tribulation. So Antiochus Epiphanes is a forerunner of the Antichrist who will rule in the last days. Now, 2 Thessalonians, it describes him. Um, it talks about the, the end coming and that that day shall not come except there be a falling away first, speaking of apostasy. And then the man of sin shall be revealed, who is called the son of perdition, who opposeth and exalteth himself above all that is called God, or that is worshipped, 
so that he, as God, sitteth in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. So just to give a real brief synopsis of the end times here, when the rapture happens, Christ is going to call his bride, which is the church, home to him up in heaven. So the church, the Holy Spirit-filled believers, by the way, the church is not just the local church, the church is a universal assembly, is what the Bible teaches in Hebrews. The church will be raptured, taken out of the way. Then what's left is God's people Israel. Now they're going to be lost at first. The Antichrist is going to come on the world scene. He's going to assimilate power to himself. He's going to become a world leader and spokesperson for peace. And what he's going to do is disarm Israel. He's going to promise peace with the signing of a treaty between Israel and all the nations of the world. Now, imagine that happening right now, right? Pretty hard to imagine, but it's it's coming pretty soon. And with this, he's going to promise Israel that he's going to protect them, that he's going to be supportive of them. But he will break his covenant with Israel after three and a half years. When he goes into the temple and desecrates the temple, he's going to call himself God. And he's going to demand to be worshipped. And that's when the Jews will turn to Christ. They will turn back to God. They will realize that they crucified their Messiah when they put Jesus to death, when he was crucified during the Roman Empire. And so from that point on, God will then protect his people, Israel, until three and a half years later from that point, at the end of seven total years of tribulation, of God's judgment, of his indignation, as it's called, with unrighteousness running rampant on the earth and God pouring out his wrath, God will then send Christ back to the earth who will conquer the Antichrist with just a word. He won't even, as it says, he will be broken without hand. So Antiochus Epiphanes, historically, in this prophecy, he's a picture of the coming Antichrist. That's the archetype. That's the representation. And really, there have been many Antichrists who have walked the earth. We know from history, between Antiochus and the Antichrist, we see people such as Adolf Hitler. Um, and there's many others who have gone through history, um, who have hated God's people, who have been against God. And so that brings us to the question, you know, if we're talking about the end times, if we're talking about people who hate God's people, why are we talking about better days ahead, better days coming in the future? Um, Or as some people say, the best is yet to come. How is that even true when we look at prophecy, when we look at the destruction, God's wrath, periods of indignation being poured out on the earth? Well, interestingly enough, I'm not sure if you're aware of this concept, but longing for better days is literally a mantra of the Jewish people at this point. And in fact, two of the most popular Jewish songs right now, one is Am Yisrael Chai by Eyal Golan, the other one is Latzet Medikayon by Yale Oshri, which was just released in August. The other one was released even sooner, more recent than that. Both of those mention the idea that better days will come. And that's just two examples. It's so interesting because history is full of the Jews asking themselves, why does the world hate us? And they are longing for better days, for peace. 
for a time when they will just be accepted, when, when they don't have to defend their right to exist or their right to defend themselves. And, you know, any normal person would say that seems insane, right? What's happening to Israel? In fact, just yesterday in the United Nations, the Israeli ambassador correctly and tragically stated that to the UN, Israeli lives don't matter. So it begs the question, why is this? It's because Satan hates God and he hates God's people. There is a demonic push today to hate the Jews and it's fueled by the devil and it is a spiritual war. It's not because of people picking sides. It's not ultimately because of politics or money or whatever kind of humanitarian cause people want to slap onto it. It's a spiritual warfare. And that's why people down through history have attempted to destroy the Jewish people, even though it literally makes no sense. Such a small group of people, about 16 million people on the face of the earth, that so many people, going all the way back to Babylon, have tried to destroy. Makes no sense. So what does Antiochus Epiphanes represent? Ultimately, he represents the coming world ruler, the Antichrist, who is going to once again stab Israel in the back. But he also represents all those who do not support the children of God. And that's why we must stand with Israel. I truly believe that anyone who does not support Israel right now, in these dark days that we're living in currently, before the last days approach, cannot be a true follower of Jesus. Because if they truly knew Jesus, they would love God's chosen people. Now, more than ever, it is important for Christians to voice their unwavering support for God's people. It's a matter of truth, and it's a matter of prophecy, and it's a matter of being on God's side. So we will continue this interpretation. Last couple verses in Daniel chapter 8. We'll close out with a few lessons next week. Thank you for listening to Sermon Snippets. If this Bible study is a help to you, consider downloading the weekly episodes or sharing this podcast with a friend. Until next time, remember that God's Word is perfect, and it's everything you need to live for Him.